right. Well, good morning, St. Paul's Church. Uh, this has been a interesting week, hasn't it? Um, I know a lot of people in this area still don't have power. Uh, last I knew, the millworks still didn't have power. Maybe that's changed since last evening, um, but a lot of people still don't have power. So I know some of you may not be able to watch uh, live uh, as normal. Um, but uh, of course, this video will be uploaded onto our, uh, our site so it can be watched later as well. So I thought that this would be a good week to talk about the subject of trials and specifically perspective in the midst of trials. Obviously, we've all had a trial to deal with this week with the storm and the resulting power outage and uh, damage uh, to property. Um, of course, we've all been dealing with a worldwide tri trial with the coronavirus pandemic and the resulting effects on the economy and uh, national unity and that sort of thing. Um, over the last few months, our country has been reckoning with trials caused by uh, racism. Uh, also, I'm sure many of you heard about the devastating explosion that took place in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, back on Tuesday, same day that we had the storm. Um, there were at least 150 people who died. It wounded thousands. It, it damaged about half the city. Um, we should definitely be praying for Beirut. So, so far for those reasons and many others, 2020 has been a year of trials. And I suspect that several years from now, when we look back on 2020, we'll probably remember it as a time of trials. And of course, those very public trials are just scratching the surface of the trials that we experience. Trials are a part of life. Last week, I talked about the problem of addiction Overcoming addiction is a huge trial for many people, and the consequences of addiction are a huge trial for many people. Cancer is a huge trial for many people. Depression and anxiety are a huge trial for many people. Divorce, loneliness, financial problems, on and on. If you are able to look at your life right now and say honestly, I'm not dealing with any trials right now. Things are good, it's smooth sailing. You're very fortunate and I hate to be pessimistic but chances are you won't be able to say that for too long. Um, because again, trials are just a part of life. Dealing with tough stuff is a part of life. So the passage that we're gonna look at today is a passage that gives us perspective in the midst of trials. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to James uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Uh, James, near the end of the New Testament, right uh, after the book of Hebrews, uh, not long before Revelation. So James, two, or James 1, starting in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
blown and tossed by the winds. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So, James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. How do we feel about that? Consider it pure joy. Now, I don't know about you, but my first reaction when I hear that is, I don't know, James, that advice is a little hard to accept, especially if I replace trials of many kinds with something concrete, you know? Consider it pure joy whenever you face a global pandemic. Consider it pure joy when you find out that your cancer has recurred. Uh, consider it pure joy when the power goes out for days and you can't get a shower and uh, flush the toilet and that sort of thing. Uh, consider it pure joy when you face depression and anxiety and panic attacks. Consider it pure joy when your kids have drug addictions. Consider it pure joy when you lose your job. You might be thinking, I'm sorry, James, but I don't consider it pure joy when those things are happen happening. And uh, if I were to put on a big smile and say, oh, what joy I feel, I would be faking it. Um, I am part of the millennial generation, as it's called, and millennials have a reputation for caring a lot about authenticity in the church. That's sort of a millennial buzzword, authenticity. And so when I read James's words here, I can feel that millennial concern rising up in me. And it says, James, are you asking people to be fake? Uh, are you asking people to just put a, a plastic grin on their face in the midst of their pain? I don't want to be a part of a phony community like that. I, I want to be part of a real community. And this kind of makes me uncomfortable. Well, if we look a little bit closer at the passage, we can see that that's not what James is telling us to do. Uh, and the reason I say that is because of why he says that we should consider it pure joy. He doesn't say, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because the trials aren't really a big deal or because um, they're not going to cause pain for you or anything like that. He says, consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James wants us to find joy in the fact that our trials can shape us into more mature people, uh, into deeper people. Whether we like it or not, and I hate to say this, but it is true, uh, whether we like it or not, we need some trials in our lives in order to become people of maturity, in order to become people of depth. Good stories recognize this idea. Uh, every movie needs to put its protagonist through a trial, right? If there is no trial, there is no story. And the bigger the trial, the more gripping the story is going to be, the more satisfying the story is going to be. Uh, I think that most parents can probably recognize th this truth uh, that trials build character uh, in the process of raising their kids. You know, if every time 
your child feels distress in every situation, your, your immediate response is to seek to relieve them of that distress. Um, then your child is never gonna grow up into a mature adult, right? Uh, for example, if you tell your child, do your chores, and then your child feels distress and complains, and your immediate response is just to eliminate that distress, to say, oh, don't worry about it, honey, you don't have to do those chores. We all know that if someone never has to do things that they don't want to do, uh, that person becomes spoiled. They don't grow up. They don't become a person of depth. So. James is saying, you, you should be able to have joy in trials because you know that these, are, these experiences are an opportunity to develop your character. They're an opportunity to deepen your faith. Uh, they're an, an opportunity to help you to become more mature. But that idea isn't going to be a source of joy for us unless we have a certain understanding of the point of life. If we think that the point of life is to be comfortable and financially prosperous and successful and popular, then this idea is not going to be a source of joy, right? But if we believe that the purpose of our lives is really to become more like Jesus, to have our character transformed into his character, then that idea can be a source of joy for us. Because even though trials might steal away our comfort, uh, might steal away our, our finances, our social status, our health, they can't prevent us from becoming more like Jesus if that is what we're focused on. And in fact, as James says, they can even help assist in that process of us becoming people of perseverance, people of maturity. If becoming more like Jesus is the whole point of this uh, adventure of life that we're on, we can still have joy in the midst of trials. Now, I would say that there's at least three things that James encourages us to do in, in the midst of trials through this passage. And of course, this is not a, an exhaustive list of all the things that we should do in the midst of trials, but there are three great starting points. So if you're taking notes, uh, the first one is what I just described. Uh, and I would summarize it in this way. Remind yourself of what life is all about. Remind yourself of what life is all about. What is life all about? Life is about learning to become more like Jesus. Uh, James describes it in verse four as becoming mature and complete. So that's number one. Number two. Second thing we need to do in the midst of trials is ask God for wisdom. Uh, James says in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. When we're in the midst of a trial, we often think what I need the most is financial blessing. Uh, what I need the most is physical healing uh, or a job. But what we need even more than those things is wisdom. Because wisdom is the ability to look at the situation that we're in from God's perspective. Um, it's the ability to, as we just talked about, remind ourselves of what life is all about. 
and I love what James is saying here because he's saying that God really wants to give us that kind of perspective. He wants to give us that wisdom. God gives generously to all without finding fault. So when we ask God for wisdom, he doesn't say, well, let me think about it. Uh, he doesn't say, I don't know, you messed up a lot in the past, so I'm not really interested in giving you wisdom. I'm going to withhold that from you. Uh, he doesn't say those things. Regardless of what's gone on in the past, God wants us to have wisdom now. He wants us to have the right perspective. So when we are in the midst of a trial, we need to ask God for that. We need to seek God's wisdom uh, to give us perspective. I'm sure many of us have at some point known a generous friend or neighbor who, you know, you ask him for a wrench and he finds out whatever you're working on and he gives you all this advice and he, he gives you maybe half the toolbox, even though at first you only asked for a wrench. Um, I think God is kind of like one of those generous friends. We ask him for a wrench and then he offers us a whole bunch more than we even asked for in the first place. God will offer us tools that we didn't even know we needed when we honestly come before him seeking wisdom, whether we want those tools or not. Uh, so I encourage us, we should be asking him for wisdom and we should be receiving uh, what it is uh, that he teaches us through his word. The third thing that James says that we need to do in the midst of trials is uh, from verses six through eight. And this one is going to take the longest for me to, to explain, but I think it's important. Uh, he says, but when we ask, we must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all he does. All right, now before we talk about what these verses mean, we need to spend some time talking about what they don't mean. Because I believe that these are verses that have been uh, taken out of context and abused, and the effects of that have been harmful. Because what some people do is they look at these verses on their own, separate from the surrounding con context, and they say, well, what James is saying is that we're supposed to come to God with our requests and we're supposed to have complete confidence that those requests are going to, going to be fulfilled in the way we want them to be fulfilled. And if we don't have complete confidence, then we won't receive what we're asking for. So you can imagine how this plays out. You know, say somebody is suffering from a physical illness, cancer, multiple sclerosis, severe allergies. So they take this verse out of the context and they think, well, God wants to heal me. He wants to give me what I'm asking for, uh, but I need to have absolute certainty that he's going to heal me. And I think this is a very harmful interpretation for at least two reasons. First, because it puts an incredible burden on whoever is praying. Um, because what this belief says is that if healing doesn't happen, it's your fault. And the reason it's your fault is because you lacked complete 100% certainty that what you were asking for uh, would occur. And uh, I think that is a terrible thing because 
we human beings can't have 100% certainty about something like that. I like to say that when it comes to things like that, uh, certainty is the privilege of God alone. And walking by faith is trusting in God, who is the only one who can be certain of those things. Um, so this interpretation encourages us to be dishonest with ourselves, dishonest with God, and uh, that, that sort of dishonesty is never healthy. So that's the first reason I think this interpretation is harmful. The second reason is because of the picture of God that this interpretation gives us. Uh, it makes God like someone who's standing before you with a present. And he says, I got a present for you. I know this is what you want, and I'd like to give it to you. But you have to be 100% certain that I'm going to give it to you in order for me to give it to you. And so you can imagine you're standing before God, God's holding out this present, and you reach out to grab it. And then he goes, uh-uh-uh, I detected a little bit of doubt that you think I'm actually going to give you this present. So you can't have it. Try again. And so you, you gather up, you know, your confidence and you say, I believe, I believe that you're going to give it to me. But you also remember, oh, he pulled it away before. And so as you reach out, once again, God detects a, a hint of doubt. And so he says, uh-uh-uh, you got to be 100% sure that I'm going to give it to you. Otherwise, I won't. So you can see how this interpretation gives a disturbing picture of God. It's, it's not a good picture of God. It's not the picture of God that we see revealed through Jesus Christ. It's not a loving God. It's not a good and generous God. Uh, it's a God who's engaging in a cruel mind game. And it's especially cruel when you imagine that that box contains, you know, the cure for your cancer or something like that. So don't make the mistake of taking these verses out of context and thinking uh, that they're teaching us that the key to having our prayer requests answered is just this utter confidence uh, that they will be answered in the way that we want them to be answered. We need to recognize that is not what these verses are teaching us. Now, why can we be confident that that's not what these verses are teaching us? Well, first of all, context. Context is important. Remember, James isn't talking here about physical healing or financial blessing. He's talking about asking for wisdom. And he says, when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. Now you might say, okay, well, hold on here. Isn't God still playing a cruel mind game, right? Because it's a similar situation. He's holding out a gift box. And, and he's saying, I've got a present for you. It's a box of wisdom. It's going to help you in your trials, but I'm not going to give it to you unless you have 100% certainty that I'm going to give it to you. Well, again, I think that that picture is incorrect. That's not really what's going on here. How we understand this depends on how we understand the word that's translated as doubt in our Bibles. It comes from the Greek word diakrino. And when someone diacrinos, what they're doing is they are evaluating uh, or judging competing ideas. Um, there's, a, there's a few translations, translations out there, including the King James Version. 
and they translate diacrino not as doubt, but as waver, waver. Now, doubt is a form of wavering, right? It is a, a wavering between certainty and uncertainty. But there's other kinds of wavering too. Like you could waver between a choice to obey God or not to obey God. And the kind of wavering that James is talking about here is the kind of wavering that happens when you're trying to decide to pay attention to God's wisdom or to the world's wisdom. So let me put this in terms of the analogy I've been using in a way that I think is more faithful to what James is actually saying. What James is saying is that God holds out a present to us. And he says, hey, I have got a present for you. It is a box of wisdom. And it is really going to help you in whatever trial you're going through. And I want to give it to you. But you have to take my box of wisdom, not the box that the other guy is offering over there. You have to take mine. Because as God offers us wisdom, the world is also offering us its own version of wisdom. And what James is saying is that if we waver, if we can't decide whose perspective we want to embrace, God's or the world's, then we're going to be a mess. And we're not going to have peace in the midst of our trials. And we're going to be just like the waves of the sea being tossed by the wind. So the third and final thing that James tells us to do in the midst of trials is trust in God's wisdom, not the world's. Trust in God's wisdom, not the world's. And of course, that follows from the second thing that he tells us to do, which is to ask God for wisdom. Um, because all that wisdom that God wants to generously offer us, it isn't going to be any good if we're wavering between his wisdom and the world's wisdom. Now, I want to clarify something. This is really important. When I say the world's wisdom, um, I'm not talking about science uh, properly, um, properly done. I'm not talking about medicine. I'm not even talking about most academic disciplines. There is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Those things properly practiced, they're about knowledge. You know, knowledge is what we gain through studying those things, and it's valuable. Uh, there's nothing wrong with studying those things, and it's important for people to study those things who are called to do so. And uh, that's all about acquiring knowledge. But wisdom is a different thing. Uh, as I said earlier, wisdom is about seeing things through God's perspective. Wisdom is about knowing right from wrong. It's about uh, recognizing what is valuable and what isn't. And what James is saying is that when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to questions of right and wrong, good and evil, what's valuable and not valuable, we can't waver between God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. Those things are at odds with each other. So some examples, what does this look like Con concretely? You know, the world's wisdom says, if you're not feeling fully satisfied in your marriage, just get a divorce. Life is short, move on. But God's wisdom says, 
be faithful, persevere, try to make things better. Uh, the world's wisdom says it's okay to cheat a little to get ahead. It's okay to lie a little bit. The ends justify the means. But God's wisdom says we should do everything we do with integrity. Uh, the world's wisdom says only give attention to the people who can elevate your social status. But God's wisdom says treat the least of these as you would Christ himself. The world's wisdom is always saying you need more. You need more money. You need more stuff. But God's wisdom says life is not found in the abundance of our possessions. Learn to be content. Uh, the world's wisdom says that your value is determined by things like your uh, social status, your wealth, your physical beauty. But God's wisdom says you are an image bearer of God regardless of those things, and therefore you have inherent value and dignity uh, Christ has died for you. That's how valuable you are. And what really matters is your heart and your character. The world's wisdom says, be quick to judge people, be quick to label people as evil. Uh, but God's wisdom says, judge not lest you be judged. The world's wisdom says, resist evil with evil. But God's wisdom says, turn the other cheek, resist evil in creative ways. And what James is saying is that when we ask for wisdom and then God gives it to us, we can't waver between the world's wisdom and his wisdom. We have to decide to say what God says, I'm going to follow. And if we want peace in our trials, if we want joy in our trials, we have to commit to following God's wisdom instead of the world's wisdom. The longer that we cling to the world's wisdom, the less peace and joy and trials we're going to have. And I realize this is all easier said than done, right? Uh, when we are really in the midst of trials, it can be extremely difficult to remind ourselves of what life is all about. Sometimes all we can see is that trial and how hard it is. Uh, we can be very reluctant to slow down and stop and ask God for wisdom and, and listen. Um, and of course, it can be really, really hard to trust in God's wisdom rather than the world's. The world's wisdom can be very persuasive. Uh, but you know what's even harder than, than doing those things? Not doing those things, right? Going through trials without knowledge of the wisdom of God, without the perspective that he can give us, that leads to complete despair. But when we seek God's wisdom, when we see things through his eyes, when we remember what the story of our lives is really all about, we don't have to despair. And not only that, but we can experience an authentic joy that carries us and sustains us even in the midst of pain and tears. So, in trials, remember what life is all about, ask God for wisdom, and trust in God's wisdom rather than the world's. Amen. Let me say a prayer. Lord Jesus, um, 
it, it can be really, really hard to do these things when we feel the, the stress of a genuine trial. Uh, but Lord, I pray that uh, we would do them, that we would seek your wisdom, that we would pursue it, um, and that it would give us the perspective we need to handle whatever we're going through. God, may we be led by our love for you and our love for our neighbors in all the trials we're facing right now. Uh, we just give you thanks, Lord, uh, for meeting us this morning through your word, and we pray that you would help us as we process it, as we think about it in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.